Good evening. It's time to begin our services. Tonight we will have three songs, and then Dickie Parker will have our reading and prayer. One more song, and then Chris will have our lesson. And I did not turn my screen on. I really need it for the first song, so just give me a second. Okay. Our first song tonight is on the overhead only. It's How Great Is Our God. If you would, let's stand for this song, please. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and arms have tried to hide his Our next song is number 118. 118. Count your blessings. When upon my pillows you are tempest tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, 
Our next song is number 821, 821, Hide Me, Rock of Ages. After this, we'll have our reading and prayer. This evening's reading comes from Exodus 19, 17 through 19. If you want to turn to Exodus 19, 17 through 19. Before the reading, let's go to God in prayer. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for another blessed day, for the opportunity to gather here this evening to hear your words and sing songs of praise to you, Father. Father, it's our hope that everything said and done here this evening is pleasing to thy sight. Father, we thank you for Jesus and the love that he had for us. And it's through his death and burial and resurrection that we have an opportunity to have our sins forgiven and to live with thee in heaven. Father, we ask that you be with those that are sick, those that are traveling, and those that have lost loved ones. 
Father, we ask you to be with the Williams family in the passing of their son, as you keep them, hold them in their heart and protect them, comfort them like only you can. Father, we ask that you be with our men and women in the military, that you be watch over them, protect them, and bring them home at appropriate time. And Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 19. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Our song of invitation this evening is number 29, number 29, I Surrender All. If you would now, let's stand. We'll sing number 523, Our God, He is Alive. Good evening. It's good to see so many of you back with us this evening. Uh, be turning to Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to uh, kind of finish up a little bit our, uh, our series on Hebrews tonight. Now, I know Hebrews has 13 chapters. Uh, read it a few times throughout this <laughs> study. But uh, Hebrews 13 is a collection of um, applicable a variety of applicable things that the author wants us to learn from. So we're going to kind of deal with those as, as topics. And so uh, we'll read through Hebrews 13, but we'll, we'll deal more with those as topical lessons. So this will kind of serve as a conclusion to our Hebrews series uh, from, from uh, chapter 12 tonight. But we're going to begin in verse 18. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 18. He says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountains, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So what, what's he talking about there when he says, you haven't come to this mountain. He's going to contrast it with the mountain, mountain that you actually have come to in just a little bit. But let's, let's deal with this, this first bit first. He says, you haven't come to something that, that may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. What, what's he re- referencing there? Well, he's referencing the, the story that Dickie read for you this evening in our scripture reading in Exodus chapter 19. Right after uh, Pharaoh has hardened his heart, God has been talking to him. He has been giving him sign after sign, in fact, ten at this point, very verbose, very loud signs uh, God has given to Pharaoh at this juncture. And Pharaoh has not listened to any of them. Uh, Time and time again, it feels like God has pled with Pharaoh to listen, and he just will not have it. Scripture says that his heart has been hardened, so he's not going to listen. But finally, the tenth plague breaks him. Uh, and he, he sends Israel on their way out of Egypt. And they're going to make their way. It's an 11-day journey. They're going to make their way after 11 days to the foot of Mount Sinai. And there God's going to meet with them. And he's going to tell them what it means to be his children. Here's some rules. If you're going to be my family, here's some of the rules that you're going to have to live by. And so he gives them the Ten Commandments among a great many other things. Moses is on top of the mountain for 40 days. Uh, receiving these commandments, and when he comes back down, do you remember what he hears? He hears the sound of, uh, of what Joshua thinks is war, but Moses, or he looks back over Moses and says, it's not war, it's, that's worship, I hear. And so they go back down the mountain, and, and of course they're worshiping this false idol, and they've attributed all the power that brought Egypt to its knees to this, this God that they have made uh, out of the gold that God gave them as they left Egypt, the, the, the ridiculousness of the situation becomes pretty apparent very quickly there. What is so interesting, though, is before all of that happens, when they first get to the base of Mount Sinai, you remember, of course, the, the scene there. It's one of, of terror. It, it, it's absolutely terrifying. There's thunders and lightnings, and God's presence is resting on top of the mountain there on Sinai. And there's darkness, and 
he, he says that there's gloom and a tempest. Apparently there's a storm raging around the top of this, this mountain. This word he uses for gloom, he uses other times throughout the Old Testament. It's a word that you would be familiar with probably from the New Testament that means outer darkness. He uses this term to talk, to talk about hell quite a bit. Uh, and so when you find it here, you, you kind of get a little antsy, don't you? You think, well, why is he, why is he referencing hell in this, this spot. Well, it could also mean, of course, that, that, there, that there's physical darkness. There, there was uh, several hours of darkness when Jesus uh, had, when he died on the cross. And this is the word that he uses there to describe that darkness as well. All that to say that this is a scene, if you were an Israelite at the base of Mount Sinai, that made you shake in your boots. This would have been a terrifying, absolutely terrifying scene. There's trumpets, there's a voice who made the hearers beg that he didn't say anything else. I mean, can you imagine the terror that must be deep down inside your heart to hear God's voice? You've been waiting on to hear his voice. You've been pleading in Egypt for him to deliver you, the God of your fathers, Yahweh, this, this God that you've heard stories about from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's time, who is this miracle worker who can do anything, who can move mountains. Surely he can save this people. They've been crying out to him for deliverance and finally... He delivers them, and now they've met him. But his presence is so terrifying and so awe-filling that they can't stand it. And they, they plead with him that he not say anything else to them. Excuse me, but that he only speak to Moses. Well, you see how Moses reacted there in verse 20, 21. Moses himself is terrified, right? And he even says, I tremble with fear. So this, this scene, this mountain, where they met God the first time, when Israel meets God for the first time, would have been quite terrifying. The Hebrew writer says, you haven't come to that mountain though, have you? You've come to a different mountain. And you have a different experience because you live under Jesus' covenant. And so you have a different experience. Here's your experience in verse 22. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, he says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. There's an awful lot there that we just need to take some time and unpack. And we're going to get through the rest of this chapter tonight. But let's just take a second and unpack these, these couple verses here, starting in verse 22. They've come to Mount Zion. He, he's, he's comparing these two mountains, Sinai versus Zion. Zion is where Jerusalem was located, but this is not Jerusalem because God doesn't hold any special place in his heart or his mind in his will today for Jerusalem. It's, it's just another nation. But he's using this, this symbol of Jerusalem, the symbol of Zion, uh, to, to talk about a spiritual Zion. You've come to basically this brand new deal that God's making with his people. He even enumerates here to the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to a host of angels, and what are they wearing? What are these angels garbed in? Well, they're garbed in festal, uh, in festal, they're, uh, festal gathering. 
So essentially, they're wearing their uh, their party clothes. I guess they're they're celebrating. They're excited into uh, the assembly of their firstborn. This assembly word he uses is a word you're probably familiar with. It's ecclesia in Greek, uh, and it's the word that he uses for the church. So he's talking about the church here. Um, but he talks about us as the firstborn. So this is an assembly of all firstborn children. Obviously, not all of us are firstborn, right? And so what's he trying to say here? Well, like we talked about in Bible class this morning during our 930 hour, um, the oldest son gets the majority of the blessing of his father, right? And that's what the Hebrew writer is is telling the uh, the Jewish people here, you don't get any second-rate blessings from God. You inherit his very best, all of his blessings. You have inherited it as the church. You have inherited all of his blessings. He's going to enumerate some of those in just a minute. You've also come to God, the judge of all. It's interesting that he, he pulls that idea out here, isn't it? Because he's just talked to you a little bit about the terror that used to be God's relationship with people under the old covenant. And now he, he's, he seems to be saying something different, but he brings in this idea of judge. Uh, and he's going he's gonna to come back to that thought toward the end of our, of our thoughts together here at the end of this chapter. He's still a terrifying God. He's still an all Filling God, He should fill us with all. He still shakes mountains and thunders from heaven, but access to Him has changed. And now those who come to Him come with confidence because we've been washed clean, right? And so we come also in verse 24 to Jesus. Jesus is mentioned here last because it's His blood that makes it possible for us to come to God. Without that blood, we're still against him we're still enemies we haven't been reconciled back to god we haven't been made friends with him again and so we still stand in the crosshairs of condemnation authors the hebrew author is trying to tie a bow on his argument here uh, that started in in hebrews 11 1 he's going to bring abel back into the equation here uh, and like he did in hebrews 11 verse 1 abel's blood cried out for what for justice right when Cain killed him and, and Abel's blood, he says in Genesis, cries out. What's his blood saying? He's de- it's demanding justice, isn't it? Jesus' blood says something different. It doesn't necessarily demand justice, but it talks about reconciliation, about relationship. And so, at least relationship with God. And as he's talking about the ecclesia, the church, the ones who are called out of the world, he's saying, you've been reconciled back to him. And you better take advantage of that. You better not squander that relationship. You better focus on that relationship. That had better be the most cherished relationship, the most focused on relationship that you have. Listen to verse 25, as a matter of fact. He says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. So he's saying... There were some Old Testament guys who rejected him, who were just refused to listen. He says, don't make the same mistake as they made. Learn from, from their mistake and the consequences that God dealt them out because of their refusal to listen. We talked about Pharaoh refusing to listen earlier. He's not the only one, right? 
Old Testament Israel also refused to listen. You think of the, the wilderness generation who for 40 years denied God's power. They absolutely refused to trust him, didn't they? Even though they had seen the exodus happen. Even though they had seen the Red Sea split and God fighting the Egyptians. Even though they had seen the Jordan River split. They, none of this stuff seemed to matter to them. He could not do anything big enough to gain their trust. They just couldn't do it. They refused to listen. They refused to, to hear what he was saying. And so the Hebrew writer doesn't want us to fall in that same category. He says, you need to listen. You ever talk to somebody and they're like, I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm, li- I'm hearing you. But yeah, you're not listening. Like you're not, you're not understanding. They, they may have heard God's words, but they never understood them. And they were never willing to make the, the connection between faith and trust. They always kept him at arm's length. And he says, you, you cannot make that same distinction. You can't, you can't have that same problem. He wants to be close to you. Remember, these guys, when God spoke to them, what did they want? No, you, you stay over there. They begged, in fact, they pled not to have his voice near them. But in the new covenant, we want what? We want him close. Just as close as you can be. Just as close as he can be to me. So he says, don't, don't refuse to listen to him. In verse 26, he says, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, the, the Hebrew writer is going to explain it for us. because It's a little bit of an odd phrase. He, he pulls from Haggai here. Uh, and Haggai's talking about the, the end of time. And that's what, that's what our, our author here is referencing here. He's talking about the judgment day. When the earth shook in, in verse 26, he's talking about the, the, the thunderings of God's voice. The, the mountain. This is such a terrible experience, such a terror-stricken experience. Even the mountain's trembling. And so uh, the ground is shaking. So he shook the, the earth the first time with the mountain at Sinai. But now he's promised it's going to happen again. And not this time, not just the earth but also the heavens. Look at it in verse 27. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So he says, there's some things that are created that he's going to shake, and those things are going to be undone, and then you're going to be able to see the things that have been invisible. You're going to be able to, to see um, judgment Day, to see heaven, to, to experience these things. In verse 28, he says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all, for our God is a consuming fire. You might want to underline that word offer because there's some connotations, pretty strong connotations there of sacrifice, isn't there? Our lives, uh, like, like somebody read this morning, I can't remember who it was, read Romans 12, 1 and 2. Our lives are a sacrifice to God. They're, they're the reasonable thing that we offer to Him. And that's, I think, what our author here is trying to get to. The only reasonable thing that we give, that we can give to God... <coughs> For giving us this kingdom, <clears throat> sorry, for giving us this kingdom that cannot be shaken is our lives. He's given us something that is incredibly precious. So precious, in fact, that when Jesus talks about this same kingdom 
in a couple of parables, he says, you sell everything that you got just so you can have that kingdom. It's worth everything you've got. Is it worth your family? Yes. Is it worth all your relationships? Yes. Is it worth your entire bank account? Yes. Is it worth your life sacrificing every day to be more like him? Yes. Unequivocally? Yes. It's worth whatever I have to give up to obtain it. It's worth it. In spades, it's worth it. That's what our author's trying to get across to us here. I think in, in verse 28, he says, The only reasonable thing for us to do is to offer him acceptable worship with reverence and awe. They had the reverence and awe, didn't they? They were, they were literally terror-stricken. They were literally filled with awe. But their awe caused them to push God away. He says, now your awe needs to force you to bring him close. Because you can't live without him. Because he's so become a part of your life. You see everything through his lens. Everything that you do who you are, the decisions you make, all those things are seen through the lens of, of Jesus, through the lens of this kingdom. What's good for the kingdom? What's good for the church? What's, what makes me more holy? Not what makes me so happy, but what makes me holy. So no, there's a difference. And in 21st century American Christianity, there is a vast difference often between happiness and holiness. He says... You have to, as the church, as the ones who are called out, you have to choose holiness over your happiness every time. It's the only thing that makes sense because we've been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You can't, you can't affect this kingdom, at least in a negative way. No one can hurt it. And one day, God's going to shake the heavens and the earth. Much like he did with Sinai, but to a... Uh, exponentially greater effect because it's all going to be undone. It's going to be burned up and then we're going to be left with the eternal things. And how you acted here will affect where you live in eternity. And so we live our lives with reverence and awe toward Him because He is a... How's, how's the Hebrew writer in this thought? Look at your, look at your, look at your text. Because God is a consuming... Fire. You might be tempted, I suppose, after having read this first little part here when he talks about Sinai and how terror-stricken the people were at the base of Sinai and then see that he's comparing those people to us who live in Jesus' kingdom and we have all these innumerable blessings and, and it almost seems like he's a different guy but the Hebrew writer says he's not. In fact, remember how he's the judge of all? And to those of us who are inside of Christ, that, that's a comforting thought, isn't it? People are going to be judged. And Jesus is going to look at my life and he's going to see his son if I'm inside of him. But if I'm not, if I haven't been baptized into him, I'm going to be awaiting condemnation. And so... He says here, don't deal with God so flippantly. He's the same God that struck terror into the uh, Israelites' hearts back at Sinai. He deals with people in a different covenant. He Access to Him is different now. You come to Him in a different way. But He is a consuming fire. And if you think that you can toy with Him, or if you think that you can uh, 
get one over on him, you are sadly mistaken. And Judgment Day will convince you of that. And so that's, that's Hebrews 12. Um, I think one of the things that we can learn from this, from this section is that we need to make sure that we're listening awfully close to him. How, how do you listen? Well, we need to be people of the word, right? We need to be reading this book. He's given us his thought. His mind has been dumped into this book. Isn't that an incredible thing? Sometimes we stop, we don't take the time to stop and think about what we've been given, right? On your bookshelf is God's mind. A lot of us talk about asking God questions and uh, you got all these questions. I want to wait for him to ask him in heaven. And, uh, a lot of those questions are answered right here, right? We, we just don't take the time to stop and read it. This is the way you get to know him today. This is the way you get to know him. And so you read through these stories and, and you walk through these different passages. And you spend time with him. In the words of this book, it's not like any other book, right? This book was written by the Holy Spirit, and so it's different, it's unique, it's better. He speaks through it. He changes us because of it. He convicts us because of it. Everything changes because of Him, because of what He does in our lives. He still speaks. He speaks through the Word. He doesn't do through visions or dreams anymore. He doesn't do through miracles anymore, but He speaks through the Word. We need to be people of the word. Or we might start refusing to hear him who is speaking. And if we do that, how much less will we escape him who warns from heaven? That's what the Hebrew writer says. It's a warning passage. Uh, the Hebrew writer doesn't like these warning passages. He shies away from them. But he sees his people slipping back into apostasy. They've left the Jewish faith, and now they're just they're, they're inching every day a little closer to it. And he's encouraging them, don't, don't go back. There's nothing down that road. There's only destruction and death, and there's peril down that direction. You remember your forefathers and how terrified they were of God and how they didn't want to be close to Him? You have something so much better now. You can be close to Him. How much better do we have it than they did? Because we can be close to Him too. Through the words in this book, if we just read it, we don't refuse to listen to him who is speaking. We need to spend time in this book. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to get to know him. We need to allow his presence to fill our lives. we got to get to know him so that when he speaks, we listen. Are all the, sorry, all the, uh, the condemnations of this book will fall on our heads because we haven't dealt with him with reverence and all. And he has become to us a consuming fire. Don't fall in that category. Listen. Listen to him. Read through his book. Talk to him in prayer. Get to know him. Spend enormous amounts of time with him. And you know what happens? He begins to change you. Through the words of this book, he changes you into the image of his son. The first step is baptism. If you haven't been baptized tonight, there's nothing left to wait on. He can cure all of your ails because our main problem, our main problem has always been and will always be sin. 
Jesus has the one and only answer to that problem. He can erase those things through the power of baptism and you become brand new. He wipes all your sins away and He makes you a brand new creation, ready to do His will, to come at life wearing His glasses, to see things through His eyes, to walk in His footsteps. Maybe you've already made that decision tonight and you see the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be. If you have any need tonight, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements um, before we are dismissed. Um, if you missed it, that this morning I mentioned that um, uh, Heather was baptized uh, Thursday. So if you get a moment, um, congratulate her, welcome her to the church family. Um, it's great to hear that someone was uh, brought in the family of God. 
Also, if you have a child who's wanting to go to preschool, this is for three years old at the four years old, uh, uh, please see Connie Miller uh, if you need an application. Also, Young at Heart will meet at 1030 this Tuesday. Uh, We are heading to the river in Portsmouth. Also, we're needing volunteers for Vacation Bible School. If you can help out with that, please sign up on the sign-up sheet in the foyer board. Um, also, we're needing help on cutting grass. There's a sign-up sheet for that as well. If you have any questions, uh, please see Greg Sullivan. Um, also, uh, Fort Hill Buzzard Week is July 3rd through the 9th. There's a sign-up sheet on the foyer board. Um, if you're wanting the discount, uh, you need to sign up by May 15th. Uh, next Sunday, April 24th, will be our potluck dinner. Um, everyone is invited to that. We'll have 1 o'clock service, no 6 o'clock service. Um, remember, continue to keep Caroline Davidi uh, in your prayers. Also, Roger Pryor, Jennifer and Darren Baker, Jim Haney, uh, Tony Blake. Uh, Tony Blake's now at home, but he thinks that what's causing his problems in his heart is stress. So uh, remember to keep him in your prayers. Uh, remember to continue to keep Terry Haney in your prayers, Yvonne Cornell, Sean Maynard, Judy Gerald, Charlie Boso, and Barbara, Barbara Fuller Wilmeson. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. Uh, remember to continue to keep those that are traveling right now at this time over the holidays. Let them get back to their house safely. Um, if you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We will sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Our last song this evening is number 947. Jesus, let us come to know you. Jesus, Would you bow with me, please? Father, we're thankful for this beautiful day of life you've given us, for the opportunity we've had to meet here twice today. We're thankful for the lessons that Chris has presented. We pray that uh, the things that he's presented, that we will listen and, and 
take them to heart and study them and, and learn to be a better Christian. Father, we're thankful for Heather Dempsey's decision to become a Christian. We pray that you bless her with strength and courage and that she can be a light in your, commu- in your service. Father, we ask your prayers for our sick that you continue to be with Jennifer and be with her and the medicines that are being given to her. Bless her and be with Casey and give him strength. Watch over Charlie and Darren and Terry Hayes, Haynes and Jim Haney and all of our others, Father, that are sick. We ask that you be with Roger Pryor and bless him and give Peg strength and bless our others that are shut in. Watch over them and bless them. Go with us as we're about to leave here at this time. We pray, Father, that we look to you for guidance and help. Watch over us until we meet again. Forgive us in thy son's name we pray and amen.